I see fathers that are holding a child that's crying, uh, calming them down, and it's not even their child. It's not even the father. He's not the father, but yet he's being a father to that child at our center because he sees the child cry. This is the type of man that I see at the shelter, and we must defend that kind of man. We are a community of high principles and family principles that these families represent us. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'm joined remotely tonight by my co-host, Sal Dietrich. Sal, how are you doing tonight? Ed, doing well, and, and excited to be here with Sister Norma. We've been hearing a lot about a caravan headed to our southern border, and that it's filled with terrorists and criminals bent on invading our country. At least that's what we're hearing from the highest level of government. But is that the real story? Tonight, we're going to get a report from the front lines of the immigrant surge that started four years ago. We're joined by Sister Norma Pimentel, the Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley in Brownsville, Texas, who helped organize the local response to the 2014 surge of Central Americans seeking asylum in the U.S. Sister Pimentel is a 2018 Hispanic Heritage Award recipient, an award established by the Reagan administration, and the 2018 recipient of the Latare Medal at Notre Dame University's commencement ceremony, honoring her work with migrants and refugees. It's the highest and oldest award given to U.S. Catholics each year. She joins us to talk about her experiences working with refugees and seeing God himself in them. Sister Norma, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. So we've heard lots about the caravan. Uh, It was big news leading up to the election. And I also read yesterday that the first wave of people has actually arrived in Tijuana. I was surprised at that. Please share with us who these people are who come to the border seeking refuge. Yes, of course. What I've seen is families that are coming from Central America, mostly Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. They're families, children, mothers, infants, that are fleeing a very difficult and dangerous situation back home. And they join together in a caravan because that's the way they can protect themselves from the criminals and organized crime that are, are, are they are afraid for their lives. And so uh, this is who is coming, and that's why they join together for, for fleeing a situation and protecting themselves as best they can. You were recently honored by Notre Dame University. That's no small feat. In a speech titled A, a Bridge Among Walls, you so beautifully put a human face on the plight of refugees. How do we start a dialogue in this country like that, where we start looking at refugees as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, children, as opposed to, uh, you know, folks from the outside? Well, it starts by by getting in contact with our faith and what God calls us, who we are for God and with God. And so God has put in our heart to take care of each other, to reach out especially to the most vulnerable, the, the suffering. And, and it is there that we will find Jesus, the suffering Jesus. And so when we really connect with that God who is so alive in our community, amongst people that we see, we will respond and see the families and the children uh, 
in that are immigrants that are strangers that are, they're fleeing and they're encountering us is as people as human beings and and so the best of us comes out to help them maybe tell us some stories i, I watched a video of an interview with a, a man and his son who came into our country he he must have been in some sort of a police or guard role in, in his home home country and because he had a weapon, he was being recruited by the gangs, and they threatened him when he wouldn't join. And then when they finally threatened his small son, I think his son was probably three or four years old, he just said, I've had it, and he left the country. I mean, this is a very serious, dangerous situation. Um, is this what you're typically seeing from these people who are coming into the country? Yes. There's so many stories so similar to that one. The, fa- the families find themselves that if they stay home, their life, especially their children's life, is in danger. They see that uh, it's impossible to work because there are no jobs because of the crime and the corruption and, and what's happening in those countries. They don't let them work. They don't let them have a life. And so they, uh, they're fleeing to make sure their children are safe. So the one gentleman who I heard talking, he was talking during the interview about uh, seeing it was just so precious to him, the treatment he had gotten when he came into the country. He talked about seeds of love, just given a few seeds of love by the people like you who were greeting him coming into the country. How do you see your role working with these people? And talk about some of the joy and the satisfaction you get out of uh, encountering these people and serving them and helping them. When, when you see and you're there before a, a family, a mother, a child, an infant, and you see them in distress, you see them they've been through a difficult time just by the observing them the condition they come in they're all dirty and muddy and they're tired they're, they, they have faces that are scared and and so, and so for the very first time they, we, what we do in our center is applaud we say bienvenidos welcome and, and you should if you can only see their faces as they perceive us and 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 hear the welcome and it, they break into tears of joy of, of the fact that somebody after, after a long time has realized that they're human beings, they're people. And uh, it's so beautiful to see that. How many people have you helped? Uh, you've been doing this for four years, right? You started uh, setting up the response when there was this original surge back in 2014. How many people have you seen come across the border where you are? Oh, yes, yeah, since 2004, we opened the doors of the Humanitarian Respite Center. Uh, we've run over 100,000. I'm thinking we're already very close to 115,000, uh, more than likely. It's, we've seen so many lately that numbers have just gone so high. And out of those people, I mean, what sort of, there, as, as we talked about in the introduction to the show, there's there's sort of this stoking and fear-mongering about the people coming in, that there's a some concentration of people that are a threat uh, yeah. to, to our to our country. I mean, is you know, certainly you're going to have in any um, cross-section of people, you're going to have some folks who are maybe not the best, but is this a predominant theme or are these just typically just people who are searching for a better life, fleeing from difficulties? You know, I am very close uh, working with the local law enforcement with Border Patrol and ICE. They, they have a job to protect our, and keep our border safe and they, ha- they realize that there's are two types of individuals that come to this country. Those that they're protecting us from, which are the criminals, the, the, the people who are 
they, we must protect ourselves from, and they're doing their job to make sure that, that they uh, detain and, and hold back uh, the criminal element that may be entering our country. But they also recognize that a great percentage of the people coming are innocent families. They, they themselves will tell you they know who that, that they have two different types of people. These are the families that I help. These are the families that the Border Patrol themselves notifies me and tells me, sister, we're we're going to go ahead and release uh, so many families to you so that you can help them get to their next destination. And they have already been gone through the process of immigration. And so they are, the Border Patrol recognizes and are people who are human and realize that these people are innocent and they're victims of this, this whole corruption. And those are the folks we must recognize as human beings and they're people that are here asking for protection you know, and safety. And uh, and they're not a threat to us. It's not an invasion. It's it's the only reason they gather together as a group is because they need to protect themselves. So how exactly do you work with the Border Patrol? I, I saw an interview with someone who works for the Border Patrol in your area, and he was just just so happy to interface with you. He was talking about what an impact you make, how you make his job so much better, so much easier. How does that relationship work? Well, it started right from the beginning because right from the start, when they, I wanted to make sure we, we sat down and talked because uh, we needed to know how many um, people we were going to feed and help and, and what time they're going to be released so that I could have volunteers to help the families, and so they were very cooperative. And since that day, we continued to be in dialogue, and we worked together. They realized that that if they need families released because these are families that have been processed and they're going to continue their legal uh, immigration process at another point in the United States, that their political asylum claims they they need help to get from the point where they're there with under that their custody to to the bus station and to guide them and help them understand how to get from right where they are in the valley, in the Rio Grande Valley, to any point in the United States, they need guidance and help and, and the bus tickets and giving them food and helping them get cleaned up and washed up. So volunteers come and help make sure that this happens. You were honored this year with the Hispanic Heritage Award. That's no small achievement. It was established by the White yeah. House. Uh, other folks who've been honored, folks like Anthony Quinn, Flosado Domingo, Gloria Estefan. T- tell us about your background. You are the child of Mexican immigrant, and yeah. you were born in that area in the Rio Grande Valley. You've been working with folks there for decades, even before the El Salvadorian War. Please tell us about your background and yeah. how you've seen this experience over the decades in that area. Sure. Well, you know, I um, since the day I entered religious life in, there in the valley with some sisters that came from Spain, and my experience has been with them. It, it, immediately when I entered, the, the sisters were were receiving families that the border patrol was calling them at whatever time of the day or night, asking the sisters if they could take a family with their children because the detention facility they had in Bayview only hold men and so we were really since that day immigrants were part of our family community we would take a family have them stay with us for a week or two help them get to their point of destination and that was since day one that i entered religious life this is what we 
were doing. And then the, our local bishop, then John Fitzpatrick, actually asked us as a community to oversee a, a refugee shelter, uh, Casas Coromero. And we did that for 10 years. And it was during the Salvadoran War. So we received thousands and thousands of, of individuals and families that coming from Central America during those days. I'm reading one article that say 90% of the people in the Rio Grande Valley area are are typically of Latino descent. Is is that true? I, I think I believe I would say so. Yes, um, we are a very high percentage of, of uh, Hispanic Latino background. Yes, immigrants for sure. You know, I would say nine out of ten, if not all of us, are immigrants in in the, in the United States. But for sure, in the in the Rio Grande Valley. You mentioned in a speech uh, at Notre Dame that, that you and one of your fellow sisters once faced the challenge of being arrested for going and advocating for refugees at, at a local uh, municipality. It's not always been an easy relationship, even there locally. Please tell us about that. You know, uh, during those two years that we were in Casas Coromero, we, we our goal was only to take care of the families and protect them and, and provide them humanitarian care. And, and and during those days, we had uh, um, some groups of people protesting that all over the United States, that the United States was sending a, a million dollars a day to El Salvador <clears throat> for arms and ammunition and all those kinds of things. And so they were um, questioning the, why the United States was sending our tax dollars and, and causing this harm to these countries. And so uh, our sister, my sister, Juliana Garcia, she said, Sister Norma, let's go, let's go support this group that is defending the people we're helping and, and show our, our support for what they're doing because we know of the atrocities that this war is doing because we hear the stories of the families that arrive every day. And so we went to show our support to this group. And it just so happened at the time that we were there at noon during the lunch hour, the the manager of the building decided to close the building because he was very upset that this group was there, and he called the cops. And for sure, we everybody was going to get arrested. And that's when the sister, Sister Juliana, was the only sister. I was a very young sister, and she um, she said, "Norma, uh, we have to make a decision because when you believe in something, you cannot just run away when things get tough. You you have to stand for what you believe." And so. It's going to be either be you or me, but we can't both get arrested because somebody has to take care of the shelter. And so she she asked me to decide. And so, of course, I said myself. And that was my experience of getting arrested. So what is the reaction of the locals there? I mean, since I would expect that given that so many people have a Latin origin, that there would be a good sense of support for these people who are seeking asylum in the country. Is that Would that be a fair oh, assessment? Yes. Most definitely. I think the Valley understands and supports immigrants because we all understand how a family, you know, it's not our parents, it's our grandparents or some family member that has always come to the United States searching and how to protect their family and, and looking for an uh, opportunity for a life, a better life. And, and so we understand that, right? And, and, and uh, we want to give back to other families for the help that we receive when when maybe our, our family, some family member of ours went through a similar situation. So I, I, I see 
such a strong support to the work that we do. The reason why we're doing what we're doing is because the community supports it. I'm sure there may be some that may be in disagreement, but but for the most part, the majority of us in the Valley believe in be, having a wonderful heart to reach in those, those families, those people that need our help. How do we extend that uh, back to the great idea of the American melting pot? You know, today we see our our president sending you know, soldiers to guard us from, you know, poor, hungry, and helpless people. And and I ask this as someone who's a second-generation American. My grandfather immigrated from Italy. We we had a strong connection to our to our Italian heritage. Have we lost that in the country? And and how do we how do we start a national movement back towards remembering who we truly are as Americans? Well, that's, that's a very important thing to do because definitely that's who we are in the United States. It's a it's immigrants that come and it hears, I hear stories when I speak, whether it's at the uh, synagogue, as letting me know uh, how they relate with the stories I say of these families because they went through similar situations back back in in Germany and and then I uh, and and it, the same with many others who identify themselves with these same stories of these immigrants that are coming today and I think that we must. Uh, defend and protect people who are here not to hurt us, but to actually bring something good to us uh, and who they are, the, their values, are, and and so many things that that they represent. That they, I, I have story. I mean, I see fathers that are holding a child that's crying, uh, calming them down, and it's not even their child. It's not even the father. He's not the father, but yet he's being a father to that child at our center because he sees the child cry. This is the type of man that I see at the shelter. And we must defend that kind of man. We are a community of high principles and family principles that they, these families represent. Us. And it is up to us to make sure that we uh, give those that are coming to our country to just simply because they want an opportunity for life and um, give them an opportunity to hear them and see who they are and what are the reasons for coming. Does anybody from the federal government or even from the Trump administration ever reach out to you to get sort of your read on this this situation, to hear these sort of things that you're sharing with us? You know, I, I do get a lot of people that come to to uh, to our center to hear the stories, to hear what we're doing. Congressman, uh, we've had the commissioner with uh, Border Patrol, people who are leaders in in, uh, in many of the offices have come and are interested in to understand what is happening and looking for solutions. I think there are some that work for the government are actually looking for solutions that we understand why the families are coming in and finding solutions to that reality. Um, but um, unfortunately, what we hear from the administration is it's more of a political push than than actual reality of what's really the truth. You know, you hear things in the of our president stating uh, that these are criminals and they're, they're invading us, and I think it's all just a political push. You know, not necessarily a truth. You know, and uh, and I don't think that it's important to to say the truth. It's important to create this fear so that. Um, he can have his uh, what he his, his agenda passed, you know. And so, unfortunately, that doesn't doesn't bring solutions that are actually good for a country. 
Yeah, I want to shift for, for a minute. Talk about things where people can get involved with you in particular. You, you've got this major initiative around the um, this humanitarian uh, respite center. Uh, you had a call for architects to submit designs. What do you see, uh, what are you hoping for in the new respite center? I've, I've read that people just show up at your door from all over the world and, and will say, how can we help you? How, how can... How can people get involved with what you're doing? How can they help you either at the center or other things that you need in your mission? Take a few minutes and, and talk about that, please. Sure. Uh, you know, the rest of we we've come to realize that the Humanitarian Respite Center is, is an important site that must, must be established because it represents a beacon of hope, you know, for many families, for many people from all over. You know, anyone who is in need of humanitarian care, you know, restoring their dignity. And and so we've, we think that it's important that we build a facility that will represent that and where many people have come to help, like you say, from all over the world, especially from the United States. But also people have come to understand what is happening. They always come constantly asking, explain to us what is the immigration reality and who are the immigrants and why do they come? and share their stories. So I would like for this center to be a, a place where people can get educated, that they can come and hear stories and, and take part in serving them and helping them. And so we're building, uh, we did invite um, Georgetown University is helping us uh, create this uh, design competition, which is already ongoing, and we're we've got 50 applicants from all over the world that responded, and and out of the 50, uh, we've finalized had I believe 13 or 14 ap- actual designs that were submitted, and uh, the architects are reviewing them and are selecting, uh, putting them in a short list, and and from there we will then. So like one event at some point uh, later on, I think we've already started the process. But there is the ones that we've seen right now are beautiful uh, designs that uh, where they capture the understanding of what we want the respite center to represent a beacon of hope, a space that is dignified, that welcomes, and that is where we can continue to uh, provide humanitarian care for the many immigrants or uh, strangers that are in our community needing help. I want to make sure we get a, a call to action or two or three, whatever ideas, whatever thoughts you'd like to share with listeners about these people, whatever challenge you would like to issue to folks, uh, whether it's uh, how they can help out specifically or more generally. Uh, what would you like to say when you uh, when you speak to people? Is there something that you always make sure you, you leave them with, some idea, some thought, some challenge? I would like for people not to be afraid, to allow themselves to bring down those walls that create fear in them and that paralyzes them from coming out and being the person that God has called them to be, a person that cares, that has compassion, that has a lot to give, and, and to reach out to either to respond to our community, to our act, uh, efforts by they can visit our website and see how they can get involved in our efforts down in the valley at humanitarianrespitecenter.org, or they can help the immigrants or individuals in their own community that are in need of help as well. And uh, we can even send uh, a list of families that are going to their 
to their cities or communities if they contact us and say, I'm from Chicago, New York, or whatever it is. And are there any families coming to our community? And we can give them the list of names so that they can follow up with them and help them as they try to continue to go before a court judge and and they, they're going to need help. And so there's so many ways to help. It's just a matter of taking the first steps and saying, I care. And I say yes. Just like our mother said yes when she was given the beautiful task of bringing salvation to us by saying yes to Jesus. And so I think we all have that opportunity as well. Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, thank you for the for the time. Is there anything you'd like to say to the young Latinos, especially those faced with DACA and other challenges, you, you truly are a leading voice yeah. and an inspiration to to the young youth, you know, the youth in our country. Anything you'd like to say? In maybe a minute. Yes, I I want to tell the young Latinos, all the youth, that to never lose hope that they have so much to offer and so much to give and so much to be, and 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 not to hold back from from realizing that who God has called them to come to discover. And so um, take courage and and hold on to that hope and, and those dreams that you have, and, and you will find that you'll make a difference in our life and this world that needs you so much. Sister Norma, thank you for joining us so much. I echo what Sal said. Um, we pray that God would continue to bless your mission in the Rio Grande Valley and also, I guess, over in San Diego, some of the, the um, refugees are coming up through Tijuana. Uh, yes. If listeners want to find out more about uh, Sister Pimentel and the work of Catholic Charities in her area, they can visit uh, the website at catholiccharitiesrgv.org, and the RGV stands for Rio Grande Valley. You also mentioned a site, um, Sister Norma, humanitarianrespitecenter.org. I'll make, sure, correct, yeah. I'll make sure I post yeah. both of those on the website when we get this up in the next couple days. This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.